Hello, and welcome to the Mormon History Podcast. Episode 1.3, What We Believe, The Plan of Salvation. On July 11, 2012, my family was visiting my grandparents in Idaho Falls, Idaho. We made this trip out west from Missouri every, at least once every other year. Usually it's a happy trip, as we love the Tetons, the green grass that you can lay on without being eaten up by chiggers, Yellowstone, and the nat- other natural wonders of eastern Idaho. Most of all, we loved visiting my mother's family. But this occasion in 2012 was not a happy one. My grandfather, a farmer all his life, who had never smoked or drank or did anything to harm his body, had contracted cancer. It spread so quickly that by the time he was diagnosed, he only had two weeks to live. We got there in time to celebrate my birthday and also to see my grandfather for the last time. I remember sitting in my uncle's bedroom where my grandfather lay on the bed, breathing his last breaths. I refused to leave his side. Something kept me there. I could not, would not leave him as he was dying. Then he died. Something happened when he died at age 75, surrounded by his family. There was a change. I could tell that the grandfather that breathed was not the same as the body that lay on the bed. Something all of a sudden was missing. I realized that it was his spirit. My grandfather's spirit left his body at mid-morning on July 11, 2012. In this episode of the Mormon History Podcast, part of the What We Believe mini-series, I will explore God's plan for his children, talking about life before birth and after death as well as our purpose in this life. This is the plan of salvation. In today's world and throughout history, many have wondered, where did I come from? Why am I here? Where am I going? The message of the plan of salvation answers these questions. The plan of salvation, also known as the plan of happiness, describes how we are children of God. He is, in every sense of the word, father to our spirits. He and mother raised us in a place we call the pre-mortal world, or the pre-mortal existence. The Apostle Paul, in Acts 17.29, preached that we are the offspring of God. Hebrews 12.9 refers to the father of our spirits. God's purpose, according to John 17.3, is for us to come to know Christ. And this is life eternal, that they might, might know thee, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom thou hast sent. So God's purpose is to bring us to come to know Christ. Through Christ we receive eternal life. Thus, God's plan for us is to give us eternal life. Before we were born, we lived with heavenly parents. They prepared us to come to the earth. The Lord said to Jeremiah, Before I formed thee in the belly, I knew thee. And before thou camest forth out of the womb, I sanctified thee. And I ordained thee a prophet unto the nations. While we aren't all foreordained to be prophets, we are prepared, we were prepared, and sanctified by God before we were born. As his children, we are known by God. He knows each of us better than we know ourselves, and so only he knows our true potential. I believe that each of us, that before we came to earth, Father sat us down and prepared us for all the trials and tribulations and difficulties we would have. We chose to come to earth by choosing to follow Father and Jesus Christ. When God presented his plan to us in the pre-mortal world, he announced that a Savior would be needed. Christ, our eldest brother, volunteered. Now Christ was the only one who could be our Savior. He was the only one obedient enough, perfect enough, loving enough, 
to go through with the atonement. But there was a second volunteer. Lucifer, previously a valiant spirit, declared that he would make sure that everyone would would partake of eternal life. But all of the glory would all the glory would go to him, not God. Lucifer's plan involved taking away our agency, which is a gift from God that allows us to make choices in life. Lucifer would have us make the right choices without ever knowing the wrong ones, without us making the decision to follow Christ. According to his idea, we wouldn't learn anything, and thus we couldn't achieve eternal life at all. It is, it is possible that Lucifer's idea was well-intentioned, but it was very misguided and inappropriately proposed, inciting conflict in heaven. Plus, Lucifer sought to take upon himself the glory that rightfully belonged to Father. When his idea was rejected by the Father, Lucifer rebelled against him, leading away one-third of the hosts of heaven. We do not know exactly what the nature of the rebellion was, but it is often called the war in heaven. After the rebellion was put down, Lucifer and his followers were cast out of heaven. Lucifer became known as Satan, father of lies, and prince of darkness. Because Satan and his followers rejected God's plan, they did not and never will receive physical bodies. Because of this, they want the rest of us to be miserable. They are jealous of our physical bodies because they want the re- because they are spirits. And because they are spirits, they can get into our heads and tempt us and try to torture us. But also because they are spirits, they have no more power than the youngest, weakest infant. They have no body, so they need not have power over us. We can always overcome Satan and his spirits. To quote from Preach My Gospel, a guide to missionary service, page 49, quote, Under the direction of the Father, Jesus Christ created the earth as a place for us to live and gain experience. In order to progress and become like God, each of us has to obtain a body and be tested during a time of probation on the earth. While on the earth, we are out of God's physical presence. We do not remember our pre-earth life. We must walk by faith rather than by sight. End quote. After Christ created the earth, Father created Adam. He placed Adam in the Garden of Eden, which had been created for them. Eve was created shortly after to keep Adam company and to complete the process of creation. Man and woman were, me- were meant to be together. The creation wouldn't have been complete had not Eve been created for Adam and Adam for Eve. Genesis 1, 26-27 states, quote, And God said, Let us make man in our own image, after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the fowl of the air, and over the cattle, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth. So God created man in his own image, and the image of God created he, he him. Male and female created he them. End quote. After Adam and Eve were created and placed in the Garden of Eden, God gave them two commandments. One, to multiply and replenish the earth. Two, to do not eat of the fruit of the knowledge of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Now, without the knowledge that the tr- fruit would have given them, Adam and Eve would not have been able to have children. So if they did not partake of the fruit, they would remain in the garden, unable to have joy nor misery, and unable to have children forever. Satan came to them and tempted them. Eve gave in and ate the fruit. She gave some to Adam and he ate. They received knowledge of good and evil, joy and misery. Because they disobeyed God, they were expelled from the Garden of Eden, and thus from the presence of God. For no unclean thing can dwell in the presence of God, but because they left the Garden of Eden, 
they could have children and create their family. Thanks to the sacrifice of leaving the presence of God, we are able to live. Because we live in an imperfect world, bad things happen. We are momentarily imperfect beings, so sometimes we do bad things. These things can disqualify us from returning to live with our Heavenly Father. In order to become clean of these things, we must have a Savior. Christ was chosen to be our Savior. He is the focal point of the restoration. Everything depends on Him. Because He atoned for us, we can return to live with God, and we can obtain eternal life. Jesus paid the price for our sins in the Garden of Gethsemane when He suffered for us. The prophet Isaiah spoke of the atonement of Christ, quote, He is despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. Surely he hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we did esteem him not, we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions, he was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we are healed. We like sheep have gone astray, we have turned every one to his own way. The Lord hath laid upon him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. He is brought as a lamb to the slaughter. He was cut off out of the land of the living. For the transgression of my people was he stricken. Isaiah 53, 3-8. So Christ suffered for our sins. President Gordon B. Hinckley, who served as prophet from 1995 to 2008, recounted the following at Christmas 2000. I have a simple story I would like to recount. It is something of a parable. I do not have the name of the author. Perhaps it will be have some special interest for our children. I hope it will be a reminder for all. Years ago, there was a one little one-room schoolhouse in the mountains of Virginia where the boys were so rough that no teacher had been able to handle them. A young, inexperienced teacher applied, and the old director scanned him and asked, Young fellow, do you know what you're asking for? You're asking for an awful beating? Every teacher that we have had here for years has to take one. I'll risk it, he replied. The first day of school came and the teacher appeared for duty. One big fellow named Tom whispered, I won't need any help with this one. I can lick him myself. The teacher said, Good morning, boys. We have come to conduct school. They yelled and made fun of the, at the top of, the, of their voices. Now I want a good school, but I confess that I do not know how unless you help me. Suppose we have a few rules. You tell me, and I will write them on the blackboard. One fellow yelled, No stealing. Another yelled, On time. Finally, ten rules appeared on the blackboard. Now, said the teacher, A law is no good unless there is a penalty attached. What shall we do with one that breaks the rules? Beat him across the back ten times without his coat on, came the response from the class. That is pretty severe, boys. Are you sure that you want, are ready to stand by it? Another yelled, I second the motion. And the teacher said, All right, we will live by them then. Class, come to order. In a day or so, Big Tom found that his lunch had been stolen. The thief was located a little, was located, a little hungry fellow about ten years old. We have found the thief, and he must be punished according to, you, to your rule. Ten stripes across the back. Jim, come up here, the teacher said. The little fellow, trembling, came up slowly with a big coat fastened up to his neck and pleaded, Teacher, you can lick me as hard as you like, but please don't take my coat off. Take, your, take off your coat, the teacher said. You help make the rules. Oh, teacher, don't make me. He began to unbutton. What did the teacher see? The boy had no shirt on. 
and revealed a bony, bony little crippled body. How can I whip this child, he thought. But I must, I must do something if I am to keep this school. Everything was quiet as death. How come you aren't wearing a shirt, Jim? He replied, My father died and my mother is very poor. I only have one shirt, and she is washing it today. And I wore my brother's big coat to keep me warm. The teacher, with rod in hand, hesitated. Just then, Big Tom jumped to his feet and said, Teacher, if you don't object, I will take Jim's looking for him. Very well. There is a certain law that one can become a substitute for another. Are you all agreed? Off came Tom's coat, and after five strokes of the rod, it broke. The teacher bowed his head in his hands and thought, How can I finish this awful task? Then he heard the class sobbing, and what did he see? Little Jim had reached up and caught Tom with both arms around his neck. Tom, I'm sorry that I stole your lunch, but I was awful hungry. Tom, I will love you until I die for taking my licking for me. Yes, I will love you forever. To lift a phrase from the simple story, Jesus, my Redeemer, has taken my licking for me and yours for you. End quote. I testify that Jesus Christ did take our punishments upon himself because he loves us. I know that he loves us more than we can fathom. I've learned this through personal experience and hope that all might feel his love. Christ works tirelessly to serve us because of this great matchless love. When Christ died on the cross, his spirit went to a place called the spirit world. In the book of Ecclesiastes, it says that, quote, Then shall the dust return to the earth as it was, and the spirit shall return unto God who gave it. End quote. The spirit world might be a separate place, but I believe that it exists all around us, that the spirits of the dead live on, live on the earth, but we can't see them. The spirit world is divided into two parts or distinctions, paradise and prison. The great gulf between Abraham's bosom, or paradise, and hell, or prison, referred to in Luke 16.26, refers to the separation between the spirits in paradise and prison. When Christ's spirit entered the spirit world, he went to the prison, as recorded in 1 Peter 3.19, quote, by which also he went and to the spirit world, uh, he went and preached unto the spirits in prison, end quote. Specifically, he organized spirit missionaries to preach to the spirits in prison. Some of these spirits were those who died in the great flood in the time of Noah. Later, in 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 6, Peter writes, quote, For this cause was the gospel preached also unto them who are dead, that they might be judged according to men in his flesh, but live according to, the God, to God in the Spirit. End quote. This means that Christ preached in the spirit world to, to give everyone a second chance. Through the atonement of Jesus Christ, a bridge was created over the great gulf, so to speak, or the gate of the prison was unlocked. In order for the spirits in prison to enter paradise, they need to be baptized. But in order for them to be baptized, they need a body. I will explain more about this in episode 1.5, What We Believe, Laws and Ordinances. Because Christ was resurrected, he opened the way for us to be resurrected someday. He was the first ever to be resurrected. Others were raised from the dead, but none before returned from the dead by their own will and returned with a perfect body of flesh and bone, immune from hunger, pain, sickness, etc. Immediately after Christ rose from the dead, the graves of other saints were opened and they too were resurrected. Matthew 27, 52-53 records that these resurrected saints went and appeared to their loved ones in Jerusalem. 
Others were resurrected in the time of Joseph Smith so they could pass on vital keys of the priesthood in order to pass on these keys by the laying on of hands. People like John the Baptist, Peter, James, John, Elijah, Elias, and Moses needed to have bodies. Thus, they were resurrected. There will come a day when all will be resurrected, as promised by Christ many times in both the Old and New Testaments. At that glorious day, all the spirits in the spirit world will be reunited with their bodies, except that their bodies will be perfected. Disease, mental illness, addiction, hunger, thirst, fatigue, defect, deformity, injury, handicap, none of these will exist after the resurrection. Those who are living during the millennium will be translated, or changed into perfected bodies, in the twinkle of an eye. To signal the beginning of the resurrection, Jesus Christ will return to the earth in all his glory. He will rule the earth as perfect king. He will reign over the earth, ushering in 1,000 years of peace in which the devil and his minions will be bound. We refer to this simply as the millennium. During this time, the missionary effort of proselytizing and temple building will continue at an advanced rate. Those parents who lost children will be able to raise their resurrected children. Families will be reunited and people will still have freedom of choice or agency. After the millennium, Satan will be unbound for a final battle, as told in the book of Revelation, chapter 16, 16 through 19. Quote, and he gathered them together into a place called in the Hebrew tongue Armageddon. And the seventh angel poured out his vial into the air, and there came a great voice out of the temple of heaven, from the throne, saying, It is done. And these were voices. And there were voices, and thunders, and lightnings, and there was a great earthquake, such as not since man as was, as was not since men were upon the earth, so mighty an earthquake, and so great. And the great city was divided into three parts. And the cities of nations fell, and the great Babylon came in remembrance before God to give unto her the cup of wine of the fierceness of his wrath. End quote. So Babylon, signifying Satan and his forces, will face the wrath of God. At that last day, the world will be destroyed and replaced with a glorious paradise, we will live through this day, safe as long as we choose the Christ over Satan. After Satan and his followers are permanently banished, there will be a great judgment. At the judgment day, we will be gathered together and placed into separate kingdoms of glory. Each glory is represented by a different celestial body, as wrote Paul in his epistle to the Corinthians. Quote, there is one glory of the sun, and another glory of the moon, and another glory of the stars. For one star differeth, from another star in glory. End quote. The celestial kingdom is reserved for the wicked people who didn't accept the gospel. It is represented by the stars, as it is still glorious. The terrestrial kingdom is reserved for the good people who didn't accept the gospel. It is represented by the moon. It's more glorious than the stars, but not as glorious as the sun. The celestial kingdom is reserved only for the best, most righteous, and obedient children of God. To enter the highest degree of the celestial kingdom, one must receive all the ordinances of the gospel. They need to be baptized and confirmed, receiving the gifts of the Holy Ghost. If there are men, they need to receive the priesthood. Men and women need to receive the temple ordinances, which I will describe in the fifth and final installment of this mini-series. Finally, one would need to be married to enter the highest kingdom of God. Not just married on, by earthly authority, but sealed by a sealer in the temple. For more information on sealings, 
see the interview with George Richens contained in bonus episode 2 of this podcast. But candidates for the celestial kingdom require more than require more beyond a ceiling. They must endure to the end, a phrase which means keeping the commandments and remaining faithful until death. If they do this, then they will be qualified for exaltation, meaning they will become like God, perfect in every way. Only in the celestial kingdom can families be together permanently. Families cannot exist in the other kingdoms, and it is only in the celestial kingdom that we can be with our heavenly parents and Jesus Christ. That is our ultimate goal as Latter-day Saints, exaltation with our earthly families and our heavenly family. The beauty of the Lord's plan is that no matter what, we will be happy, because we will get exactly what we deserve. No longer will we be tortured by Satan and his minions, as they will be permanently banished. No more will we be racked with pain, disease, or hunger, as we will have perfect bodies. There will be no more sin nor contention, as we will have a perfect knowledge of Christ, and we will be per- have perfect, perfectly content families. The earth will be perfected, and we will dwell upon it with Christ and God as our leaders, living eternally happy with our friends and family. That is the fate that awaits those who always repent, who endure to the end, and who love Christ and God above all else. When my maternal grandfather died in 2012, I wasn't devastated, because I know this plan. I knew that my grandfather lived worthy to enter paradise, and I would not be surprised to find him in the celestial kingdom. He truly was a great man who served God at all times, in all places, and in all things. Through the plan of salvation, we can receive comfort and have joy in birth, life, and death. We can know that birth was not the beginning and death is not the end. I testify of this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Thanks for listening. Don't forget to check out our Facebook page and our blog, www.mhistorypod.com. If you have any questions, shoot me a message on Facebook via the Mormon History Podcast. I'll set up an email soon devoted just to comments about the podcast, and I'll let you know when it's up and running. Also, feel free to leave a rating, and thanks again. This has been the Mormon History Podcast.